If you have a copy of God's Word, just want to invite you to open up to the book of Malachi. Um, maybe Josh can tell us what page it's on in that Bible. 986. 986. So if you have one of those in the other room, I should have checked before the service, but I didn't. It's on page 986. 986. This is the last book of the Old Testament, and I'm excited for us to close uh, the series in this book because I think it has a lot to teach us. The message of Malachi is a message ultimately about worship. And worship is a common theme in many people's lives. Most people are familiar at least with the idea of worship. We all know that we worship something or we talk about worship in some kind of way. So it's a common word. But even though it's a common word, I'm not so sure it has a common definition. Because people think about worship in many different, often unbiblical kinds of ways. Some of us think of worship as purely a private matter. Like it's what happens between me and God in my prayer closet or in my car or in my shower when I sing in the morning or just as, just as we live our lives with our own personal convictions. And sometimes we can feel, there's a temptation to feel, it's really nobody else's business who we worship or how we do it. It's a private matter. In fact, it might even seem offensive to people in our culture today for even Malachi, God's messenger, to tell us how to do it, to tell us how to worship. So some of us can be tempted to think that worship is just a private matter. Also, some of us think of worship as being tied to a specific time in a specific place. For instance, worship is what happens on Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., at 400 McLean Avenue, inside of this room, once you've sat down in your seat and already gotten your coffee, and the call to worship is given. But the rest of the week and the rest of the hour here this morning and the rest of the building, that's something separate. Because we think of worship at times tied to a specific hour, specific time, in a specific place. Some of us even think of worship as a particular element within the worship service, right? It's the singing. That's, that's the worship. We worship when we sing. But praying and hearing the Bible preached is something else. It's important. It's vitally important. We know that prayer and preaching is important, but can they really be called worship? Well, Malachi has something to teach us about this important topic. In fact, the whole Bible has something to teach us about this important topic. The Bible teaches us that God cares about true worship. He cares about why we do it and how we do it. This is even what Jesus taught in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. He said the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. My question to you is, did you know that God is seeking people to worship Him in spirit and truth? In other words, did you know He's seeking worshipers who worship Him in a specific way? That means worship is not just what we make it, it's what God makes it. 
He's the one who's deserving of worship. He's the one who's demanding of worship. And so he's the one who determines what it is. And so this morning, Malachi is also going to teach us that God cares deeply about true worship. This book is going to show us that worship involves our whole lives. It's not just tied to a location. It's not just tied to one hour out of the week. Instead, worship is a lifestyle. The New Testament in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Did you catch that? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. So our spiritual worship is being a living sacrifice. It involves our entire lives. It involves all of us, not just part of us, but all of us. Not someday or sometime, but every day and all the time. Not just when we sing, but also when we pray and when we read. And when we eat and when we play and when we hear God's word preached and when we study and when we work and so on. You see, Malachi comes after Haggai and Zechariah. And uh, those last two prophets that we saw over the last couple of weeks, they were overseeing the rebuilding of the temple. But Malachi, that we turn to today, he was writing and preaching after the temple was finally rebuilt. After the exiles had returned to Jerusalem, the temple's finally rebuilt. And so on paper, worship had continued in the temple. But did worship continue in the people? That's the question. And God cares deeply about this. And it involves every part of our lives. Friends, this teaching on worship might seem intrusive today. I just want to go ahead and warn you. It might seem intrusive because it goes beyond what happens on Sunday to what happens on Monday. True worship has implications for your marriage. It has implications for a potential marriage. For someone someone is dating or courting. It's going to have something to say about your giving and your generosity. True worship has something to say about personally growing in the knowledge of God. It's going to have something to say about talking regularly about God with others. Friends, God wants all of us, not just part of us for part of the time. And so let's turn now to Malachi And this morning, we're going to learn six brief lessons about true worship. Six lessons about true worship. Here's the first one. The worshipers of God grow in the knowledge of God. The worshipers of God grow in the knowledge of God. In chapter 1, verses 2 through 5... By the way, I just encourage you, if you have a copy of God's Word, have it ready and available to be able to flip through. Like we wanna, I want you to know that this is what God says, not what Matt Speaks says. It's extremely important. 
True worshipers of God grow in the knowledge of God. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. God begins by reminding the people of who He is. And He reveals to them that He loved them by choosing them. And then He promises that they're going to see and declare His greatness whenever they recognize this. So here's chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. God says that he loved them. And then they ask, how have you loved us? And God tells them that he chose them. He chose Jacob over Esau. And in verse 5, he says that they're going to see that this is true with their very own eyes. And they're going to declare God's greatness. So when God wants to reveal who he is and what he's done for his people, at least in this book, he tells them that he chose them. That he chose Jacob over Esau. But the principle that I want to show you here is not just the true doctrine of God's election, that he chooses people. And said, I want to point out that the people were inquiring about his love. They weren't just satisfied with phrases like God is love, but they wanted to fill those phrases with true content. How is God love? Why is he love? You see, it's important for true worshipers to worship a true loving God. Not a figment of our imagination. And so true worshipers grow in the knowledge of the Lord. They go beyond superficial phrases to the details as God has revealed them in his word. And then they see it with their own eyes and they go to the world and they shout, great is the Lord. So maybe that might add something to your expectation on Sunday. Do you come here on Sunday morning hoping to just hear some superficial message that excites you for half a day? Or do you come to encounter the living God through his word so that you would know him more intimately and then leave to go and declare his greatness to others? Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, grow in the grace of and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I'm also reminded of 1 Peter 2, verse 9, where he tells us to proclaim the excellencies of God. And a very simple question here is, how can we proclaim God's excellencies if we don't even know what they are? And so we should commit ourselves to hear His Word faithfully preached and to study His Word diligently so that God can tell us who He is and so that we can Grow in worshiping Him by growing in our knowledge of Him. So that's number one. True worshipers of God grow in the knowledge of God. Second, true worshipers of God worship God wholeheartedly. 
Now, this is going to be the longest chunk of Scripture we read here in Malachi, so I invite you to follow along so you can follow with it and track with it. So look at chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. We're going to see that true worshipers of God worship God wholeheartedly. Chapter 1, starting in verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame and sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. I love this section because Malachi makes it, I think, so clear for us. In the Old Testament, God cared about what kinds of sacrifices the people brought They were supposed to bring unblemished sacrifices. And they were supposed to do that for a couple of reasons. I mean, first and foremost, the unblemished sacrifice, a perfect lamb, was a picture of Jesus who would come and spill his blood as the perfect one who died in our place. And so God wanted that reality to be foreshadowed constantly. But also... God seems to be testing the priorities of his people. Did they value God? And did they value loving him? And did they value worshiping him enough to offer their choicest sacrifices? Their best? Or would they just bring their sick and injured animals that they would have gotten rid of anyways? So God has us to consider at least three illustrations. A father, a master, and a governor. A child shows his father honor. And a servant shows his master honor. Or you could think of an employee showing respect to a good supervisor. And a citizen would show respect to some respected official. Some governor, some king. 
Well, if God is the ultimate father, and if he's the ultimate Lord, and if he's the king of kings, then why would we give him something half-hearted that we would never present to someone else that we respected? If we wouldn't give it to our boss or our CEO or a president or a favorite celebrity or a spouse even, then why would we give it to God? That's what's happening here. Friends, worshiping God means being a living sacrifice. It means giving the best of ourselves, all of ourselves to Him. And we don't do this to earn His favor. We do it because He's God. And He deserves it. And we want to love Him and give Him our attention and give Him our focus I mean, in the song that we sang this morning, the lyrics read, Oh, Father, use my ransomed life in any way you choose. Did we sing that honestly? Is your life a blank check for God to write on it whatever he wants to ask of you? And would you do it with all of your heart? We have to remember that as Christians, we are not our own. We and everything that we have belongs to God because we have been bought with a price. God deserves all of us. Even the really uncomfortable parts that feel like it's nobody else's business. Like surely this private thing over here has nothing to do with worship. Has nothing to do with faith. Something like money. Our giving. Yet even in this book, our giving is a sign of our worship because in chapter 3, verse 8, God says, will, you, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And God's response is, in your tithes and contributions. And then in verse 10, God says to bring the full tithe. Now you might argue that the tithe is not mentioned in the New Testament and I would just say that Jesus did ask someone to sell all his possessions and give it to the poor and follow him. Because Jesus asks for more than 10% of us. He asks us to lay down our entire lives and to deny ourselves daily for the sake of the gospel. True worshipers give of themselves. They give of themselves when they come to church. They give of themselves when they live life with one another. They give of themselves when they're hearing God's word preached. And when they're sharing the gospel with their neighbors. And when they're doing their job really well. Friends, if we've been, if we've been bought with a price and we're not our own, but we belong to God, there's not a single part of us or a single thing we have that should be off limits for God. We are His. We're His. And in light of that, we should worship Him wholeheartedly, not at our own convenience, not when we want to, not by giving just enough of ourselves to do our part, but by giving our entire lives. That's number two. Number three, true worshipers of God are faithful messengers. So take a look at chapter two. And verses 7 through 9. Chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. True worshipers of God are faithful messengers. It says this. For the lips of a priest 
should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you've turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Now, this is a particularly relevant passage for me, for pastors and for preachers of the word, because it addresses the priests, addresses the religious leaders. But I also think that just anyone who's in a position of leadership, who's regularly engaged in proclaiming the word of God, I I hope that you want to teach it faithfully. And so you might be wondering why I would take a moment this morning to share with you this point, if Most of you in the room, the rest of us in the room, are not pastors. And that's because you have pastors. And you ought to know what God expects of them. Because the pastors don't just exist for themselves, but they exist to lead the church well. And what we find in Malachi is that God expects pastors to be true worshipers who are faithful messengers of the word of God. Verse 7 says, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. Why? Because he says whatever he wants? No, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So there should be an expectation that pastors, elders, and the church feed the church with true, solid, faithful preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And the temptation is going to be to find pastors that you're drawn to for other reasons. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, Paul warns his child in the faith, Timothy, he says, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And in the midst of that command, Paul looks at Timothy and he says, Don't fall for it. Like, don't just tickle their ears and be what they want you to be. Be a worker approved by God. Proclaim the word faithfully. And I think the implication for the church is don't be like those people. Don't choose pastors just because of their charisma and their personality and their ability to draw massive crowds and their ability to tell you what you want to hear. Choose pastors who will feed you the word of God. As this church grows and there becomes a need for additional elders or we want to send a church planter to plant a church or we want to send a missionary overseas, I hope that we take this to heart. I mean, personality matters. Chemistry with the other elders matters. Them being a leader that people are actually following and and learning from and growing through their ministry, that matters But let's value solid, faithful preaching of the word of God that bears weight on the people of God. True worshipers are faithful messengers of God and Christians in the church should be looking for that. And they should value that. They should want it for their own soul. I mean, there's a privilege in having someone who devotes their entire week to preparing a meal that can be enjoyed on Sunday morning when we sit here. And as the people of God come together for worship, it it needs to be centered 
around the word. There better be true worshiping pastors in the church who faithfully preach the word. Because how can a pastor, how can I lead in some sense our church in worship if, if we don't give the Bible? So that's number three. True worshipers of God are faithful messengers of God. Here's number four. True worshipers of God have God-honoring relationships. And the first of the relationships has to do with who you might marry. Who you might marry. And so this would be for single people in the room or in the church. And by single, I mean not married. Dating doesn't count. Chapter 2, verse 11 would be of interest. Chapter 2, verse 11 says, Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. So apparently some of the Jewish men had went and married women from the surrounding nations. And this isn't a text against marrying people from different cultures and different ethnic groups because now we know the church is made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation and we can find worshipers of God among, uh, across ethnic grounds and cultural grounds and national borders. But at this point in time, the Jews were told not to marry foreigners because God knew that the foreigners would influence them with their false religion. So it's really a text about not marrying someone who doesn't worship the true God. Which means that dating is not an evangelism tactic. And we don't use the prospect of marriage in order to win people to Christ. Instead, God would have us bind our hearts with someone who loves and worships the God we love and worship. In fact, we should really begin to question why our hearts would be so intimately drawn to someone who doesn't love the Lord. So true worship has ramifications for who we hope to marry if we are single. If we are married and find ourselves married to an unbeliever, the call is to remain faithful and to love and hopefully through our conduct and our teaching and our persuasion, the person would be one to Christ. But for someone who's single and not married, why would our hearts be drawn to someone? If we worship God, why would our hearts be drawn to someone who doesn't worship Him? And so you see how worship has ramifications for who we date, for who we court. The next relationship that we see in this book has to do with the one we're married to. Worship has implications for your marriage. Look at verses 13 through 14 in that same chapter, chapter 2. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does He not? Now, the first answer we saw was because you're bringing, you're bringing blemished, sick, lame offerings that aren't your best. Here's the second reason why He's not accepting their offering. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. 
if there couldn't be a clearer text to show the connection between our worship of God and our marriage. The Lord rejected his people's offerings because they were unfaithful to their wives. They were unfaithful to their husbands. They cheated, they abused, they hated, they divorced. I wonder if before this sermon you had a category in your mind that God would reject a man's offering at the temple because of the way he treated his wife at home. I'm reminded of 1 Peter 3, 7 that says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. You don't want your prayers to be hindered? Honor your wife. Our worship, our prayer is tied to our marriage. Husbands and wives, your marriage is meant to display the covenant keeping love of God. And so husbands are called to love their wives like Christ loves the church. And wives are called to follow their husband's loving leadership as the church follows Jesus. And we're fooling ourselves if we come to church to pray and sing and shout the gospel, but treat our spouses like a pile of junk at home. There's no such thing as worship over here and our marriage over here. Instead, true and rightful worship will show itself in God honoring marriage the way he's designed it. Husbands and wives, maybe one of the things you can do tonight is spend time considering whether or not your marriage brings glory to God and why. What areas does it bring glory to God and what areas does it not? And the last thing we see about God honoring relationships is that true worship will lead us to love others who are in need. Chapter 3, verse 5 shows God's heart for justice. It tells us his love for the vulnerable. And we should expect that true worship of this God who loves the vulnerable will lead us to love in the same way. So here it is, chapter 3, verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So, so here's what we can make about all this. True worshiping, true worshipers of God have faithful relationships, God-honored relationships. Here's what we can make of it. That if you're a true worshiper of God, it should show in your relationships. It should show in your pursuit of marriage if you're single. It should show in your relationship with your spouse if you're married. And it should show in in your love for those who are in need. Because true worship has an impact on every facet of your life. And every relationship you have. Now here's the fifth lesson. About true worship in this book. True worshipers of God fear the Lord... And talk about him. They fear the Lord and they talk about him. Look at chapter 3 verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord. This is interesting. Spoke with one another. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him. Of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Now that first phrase. Those who feared the Lord spoke with each other. 
And, and we aren't told what they talked about, but I assume they talked about God. I mean, these, these people had encountered God through His Word, and they fell on their knees in praise and adoration. They began to fear the Lord. They honored Him, and they held Him in high esteem. They recognized His beauty, His holiness, His magnificence. And I think they found themselves unable to keep quiet about who He is. They couldn't help but talk about Him. And the Lord heard them. And he says this in verses 17 and 18. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. The promise here is that everyone who fears God will be saved, they'll be preserved, they'll be spared on the day of wrath, And God will make them His own. So I wonder how many of us in this room fear the Lord. And I wonder if we stand in awe and adoration of who He is. And I wonder if we can't just help but talk about Him wherever we go. The ones who feared the Lord talked with one another. And my prayer is that we would do the same. That people would come to King's Tree Church, live among us, and see that we honor God And that we can't keep His greatness off our lips. That's number five. The last lesson to learn about worship. Is that true worshipers of God trust in Jesus. The book of Genesis begins with God creating everything. And it's all very good. And then just three chapters in. You don't have to go far to encounter the sin of Of men and women. Three chapters in. God's crown of creation. Human beings disobey God. They fall into sin. They rebel against Him. Well now we get to the end of the Old Testament. And it feels like another new beginning of sorts. The exiles have returned from Jerusalem. The temple has been rebuilt. The people in Haggai and Zechariah repented. God's promise of restoration to the land has seemingly been fulfilled. But then we read Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And almost as soon as the temple is rebuilt, here's another prophet addressing their sin once again. So where's our hope? The truth is we're like the ancient Israelites in many ways. We we hear these lessons about true and pure worship and we have to admit that we have not worshipped God perfectly a day in our life. Even this last hour. Have we done this last hour perfectly? But the book of Malachi ends. The book of Malachi ends and there's 400 plus years Of silence. No more prophet. No more messenger. No more books being written. Chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. He says, I'll send you Elijah the prophet. God's going to send someone here called Elijah. And he's going to send this person to come before the Lord. 
Malachi 3, 1 said, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. But Malachi ends. There's 400 years of silence. Where is this messenger who's going to come and prepare the way for the Lord? Well, we turn to the New Testament in Luke chapter 1 and we read this about a man whose name is John the Baptist. It says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now pay attention here. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 400 years of silence. John the Baptist arrives on the scene to prepare the way for the Messiah. The one who will finally save his people Once and for all. And as he steps on the scene to lead the way for the Messiah, John the Baptist sees Jesus in John chapter 1. And this is what happens. It says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Friends, true worshipers of God look at the Savior Jesus Christ and they trust Him. That's what Malachi anticipates there's no other way to please the Lord if you do not trust Jesus and you don't have your sins dealt with on the cross your worship is in vain the message this morning is not to go and try harder to earn God's favor the message is to realize that your worship is imperfect my worship is is imperfect, but Jesus lived a perfect life of worship of the Father. And He died on the cross offering up His perfect love for God on our behalf and taking our sinfulness upon Himself. And He paid the penalty for it all. So that if you believe in Jesus and His work as your only hope, His perfect life of worship will be credited to you. And your sin will be forgiven so that now you can freely worship God in spirit and truth as a true worshiper. Because your heart is no longer seeking to gain God's love. Instead, it's overflowing in praise because you've already received it. So friends, the basic question that Malachi and the whole Bible asks is this. Will you be a true worshiper of God by trusting in Jesus Christ? What will be your answer to that question today?